Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night from Alpine, Wyoming today. Good morning, Stu. <laughs> You're in Santa Barbara, I see. I am in Santa Barbara. I'm going to tell on you, actually. So we're doing a take two. <laughs> you told on me? Oh, my God. I'm telling on you. Because when we never do this, if you guys notice, we're always, you know, we may add out a couple of things, but mostly we just go on the fly. But um, we had some technical difficulties this morning. And after we recorded with my brother, John, who you'll hear the interview pretty soon, um, Stu says, I want to do it again. Let's record again because I was grumpy. And I said, okay. But I think, I think what's happening is that you are feeling more into your body after having this conversation and you feel like you're more available. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So people can listen to the interview with uh, Bliss's brother, John, that follows this. And uh, you'll see why I'm feeling sort of grounded and jazz. I love and that. I wanted to redo it. So um, I've that. got a whole bunch of things on my agenda here. I have some emails and some Instagram posts, but I very important before I talk about my experience at the breach, uh, reteach breach conference here in Medicine Bow, Wyoming. I wanted to hear about all the news from Santa Barbara because I know there was a big event. I think it was, what was it, Thursday? And it, yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, I watched part of it on your live streaming and I missed it. I missed being there, but, but uh, it was well attended. So tell us your take on what was going on over there. Well, first of all, I want you to know that you were actually very missed. Not, you know, I'm not just saying that, like it was mentioned that who you are and what you bring to the conversation wasn't missing. So I just want you to know that. Thank you. But Thank you. yeah, it was a great panel. Um, they had been on hiatus because of COVID for a couple of years. This is the fifth annual. This is the Santa um, Barbara um, International Cesarean Awareness Network uh, group, right? Yeah, it's hosted by the International Cesarean Awareness Network because Kim Summers and Anastasia Stone are the local leaders. But really what it is, is maternal health care panel. So we talk about cesareans and VBACs because that's who's hosting it. But it really is an opportunity for the community to get together and talk about how to better what's happening. And you guys have heard me mention on the podcast about what's happening here in Santa Barbara, you know, with uh, not allowing women to have VBACs, there's only one hospital here. They're not really supportive necessarily of uh, out of hospital births. You know, our friend Melissa Drake, you know, felt kind of pushed out by the hospital just because she wanted to do things that they just weren't letting her do. And they made her life miserable for it, right? Yeah, which we know is what happens, you know, when you, you talk about pounding down the nail that sticks out, right? Yeah, you and um, Dr. Shavira. So it was a great panel. Um, it was Alyssa um, Herbert from the birth center, myself as the midwives in the community. There were two OBs. Um, Melissa Drake was there, who's a local OB. And then Emiliano Shavira, who's from LA, who I've worked with, who you know has come up for every one of the panels. And then um, Floor Cruz, who's badass mother birther, who's 
awesome and was just, you know, so outspoken. She's just so real with her words. She's just a mom who had a vaginal birth after cesarean at home and, you know, was just sick of what's happening culturally and is just doing some really amazing work. So it was fun to have her on the panel as a fresh voice. Yeah, she's, and then, she's got a fairly large following. And it's really interesting because all she had was a normal vaginal delivery. Yeah. And yet in Santa Barbara, it's uh, it's like a unique thing that happened. She had a home VBAC. Oh, my God. Yeah. How'd that happened. And she's just... She's just so spicy. And so, you know, she's just awesome. You mentioned to me earlier that in Santa Barbara, if, you know, they've got a policy or what we call a guideline or a de facto ban on VBAC in the hospital. And that's been there for decades, I think. And, and that if a woman comes in and declines to have a cesarean section, what happens to her? They, they will, they will decline her, um, an epidural. They won't say it as an official policy, but, um, that's what's happening. And yeah. Which is evil, probably yeah. illegal, as you said, uh, yeah. in our first take. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely illegal and unethical. It's malicious. Open. It's mean. It's nasty. I don't I, I don't know how these people go home and smile at themselves thinking they did a good job when they do something like that. Yeah, it's it's not sure. Who knows? Um, but one other person that was on the panel um, who I really appreciated, and I think I might invite her to come and be a guest, was Jen Dunatov. She's a clinical healthcare ethicist. And she just brought some really unique perspectives from an ethical perspective about all of this. And one of the things that she said that we, you know, even Anastasia and Kim, who, you know, have been hospital doulas for decades, um, that you can request an ethical, uh, a meeting, a consult, an ethics consult. Exactly. And we were like, wow, that is a cool thing to know that you're in the hospital and things are not going the way that you need them to, you can request one and they have to honor that. So that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. And a quick update. Um, because of technical difficulties out in Wyoming, um, I was supposed to have a meeting this week with Hermine Hayes-Klein and lawyer Greg Glazer from the Physicians for Informed Consent because I want to talk to them about the tyranny of the NICU yeah. um, and if we can try to figure out some way to get some advocacy hotline or something like that. Yeah, I'd really also... like to be part of that. Okay. Yeah, um, I really would. Yeah. Uh, when we set up the meeting, I'll, 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 I'll get you a Zoom invitation and I'll send it to your phone too. Thank you. <laughs> That's an inside. That's an inside joke. Um, but uh, but it also would cover things like this. I mean, there has to be a hotline. Yeah, people can call where they can get. I mean, the fact that we have to rely on lawyers and legal advice to have a baby or to have to take care of our baby is crazy. But it is yeah. reality. So yeah. you know, we, again, we can't sit back quietly anymore and take it. Yeah, because these people have to suffer real physical pain in order to change their ways. And until they suffer real physical, I don't, physical, I, that's probably not the right word, but it is in some ways. I mean, they need to be sued personally. We've talked about this before. They need mm -hmm. to be made to feel the same sort of distress and pain that they're inflicting upon the women and the families when they do these sorts yeah. of tyrannical and things. If you're, and if you're a low risk, healthy mom, stay home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't Speaking want an epidural and you want nothing that the hospital has to offer, stay home. If you want an epidural or, you know, if you need something that's there, you feel safer there, by all means, it's an option. But if not, you know, avoid some of this hassle by just 
not leaving your house. Yeah. Or on the other alternative, if you really want a hospital birth and your community sucks, then, you know, investigate other options. You may have to drive a hundred miles. You may have to pay a little extra out of pocket. Yeah. And that's what the women have to do here. They have to go to Ventura and other, and other places. So. So I just finished my medicine bow breach, reteach breach twin conference. It was great. We had, per- we had a perfect size group, which was somewhere around 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we get up to 20 or 22, 23. That's great for the lecturing. I could lecture to 100 people, 200 people, but the hands-on part, you know, you, you just you don't get enough repetitions when you have too many people. Yeah. So I, have two, I have two Sophies. Um, one of them, I just have to, I had to replace her. So I, I feel really bad. I just ordered a new Sophie because her, her neck was getting torn and she was getting like a thyroid disorder <laughs> in her neck. But it was great. And I want to thank Jacqueline, the host um, in Medicine Bow. But we had midwives and students and doulas and even just some other people from other birth worker tangential professions who came because of their curiosity. We had two PAs that were local there. PAs. Nice. They never nice. del- he haven't ca- ever caught a baby or a breech baby, but he says, you know, listen, I'm a little town. I want to know how to do it. And so I had a man. I had another Y chromosome at the meeting. It was fantastic. Nice. And there were people there from five states, including Idaho, Minnesota, North Dakota, Colorado, and uh, of course, Wyoming. So it was great. Love it. And uh, there's nothing, you know, again, there's lots of things in life that are important, but knowing how to do a breech delivery is important. And I, I just wanted to read something that, that our friend of the podcast who was on before, Christine Loria, who is one of the most skilled midwives you'll ever know. She's the one that was in South Sudan. She told her stories to us on a previous podcast. And she sent me this little text. She said, hey, I've been meaning to tell you that I've debriefed a midwife and two students the other day. They had taken your workshop not too long ago. They just wanted to debrief on a breach birthday. I love that she calls it a birthday. Mm -hmm. Uh, And had a little over a month ago, wondering if there was anything they could have done differently and so forth. They needed to resuscitate the baby for about five minutes but all was well in the end. There was nothing particularly unusual about the birth. It was a primip and remained undiagnosed until they, saw, uh, until they saw a butt cheek coming out in the water instead of the head. They not only did everything right, they really were quite on point with intervention. And when they intervened, which is sometimes the hardest thing to know when you don't have a lot of experience. Anyway, I commended them and told them I couldn't see anything that would have done differently at any point, which coming from Christine has to make them feel Good. That sort of praise from her. I told them they had obviously been paying attention at your workshop. And she says, I, anyway, I just wanted to pass that on to you. I'm sure people contact you all the time and tell you how your teaching helped them. And, and we've read some letters on podcasts. And so that's been kind of fun. But I think it's always nice to hear that we're actually making a difference and making some inroads with breach birth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it takes like a really sweet in tune person to understand what will make other people feel good. And for her to take two minutes out of her day to send me that message was great. It means she's well-grounded, right? Yes. I mean, she's communicative <laughs> and in touch with her feminine side. <laughs> Boy, am I an expert now? A little preview to the yeah. interview. <laughs> so I had a bunch, I had a few other things. There's just a couple Instagram messages about Rogam, which I thought would be relevant. And then I, okay. then we'll, and then we'll quit. And then we'll go on to John. So. This is from Liz with two Z's on Instagram. She told me I had to give Rogam yesterday to a woman who had a tubal ligation with her C-section. She said there was no discussion allowed. Mm. Other nurses thought I was crazy for saying it's not necessary. 
I think there's a general misunderstanding of what it's used for amongst the nursing staff. The physicians I work with are pretty dismissive of nursing staff. The hospital is the most backward I have worked for. I discussed it a bit with the patient and she said she was told she had to have it because she's RH negative. All right. So they're telling her she needs it because she's RH negative, but she's never going to have more children. Right. So the, the informed consent would have been, yeah, you might get sensitized from this birth and maybe that would make you unlikely to be a blood donor in the future, but this isn't going to affect you or your children. And we're giving you a product that, you know, has some issues, not many, but we did yeah. discuss them. And I refer people back to the Rogan podcast for that sort of thing. So again, but it's unnecessary. Just, That's a very interesting point. Yeah. It's just, un, it was unnecessary. Yeah. There's a cost to it. There's a potential yeah. for anaphylaxis. Yeah. Right. So why do it? Right. So why do it? <laughs> wow. And then this one is from Aston Kovic on Instagram. Mm-hmm. She says, after listening to your Rogan podcast, I could not tell you that my experience at one of the top ranked hospitals in the nation, I couldn't not tell you. Oh, yeah. So that means it's a double negative. She had, <laughs> I had, she had to tell me. Okay. <laughs> it's called the Cleveland Clinic, which I think most people have heard of, actually. Is that Rogam is routinely administered to RH negative pregnant mamas like me who do not know the RH status of their partner. This happened with my first baby. With my second baby, I forced husband to determine RH factor which was RH negative. It's so terrible. With baby number two, I had to insist that the doctor put an order in my, for my husband to get his blood checked. Mm -hmm. Initially said it was not necessary because quote, most men are RH positive, unquote. How crazy. Love that you were discussing this topic. Yeah. You know, if you can check the husband's blood type, why do you give Rogam if they're RH negative? And if you're not checking the husband's blood type, why aren't you checking the husband's blood type before you give a product that that re- that wholesales for 105 bucks a shot. Yeah. When we order it. Yeah. And I don't know what, and the hospital probably marks it up like 6,000% or something. I'm like sure that. they do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, one more thing. Did you know that um, the NIPT test here in California has been taken over by the state? Yeah. Does that mean you can't do it privately or this right. is state? Oh, really? Yeah. And so the only companies, they absorbed all of the companies except for Natera is one of the private companies that's doing it, but it's through the state and then um, Quest Diagnostic Labs. So you have to go on to a state portal to order it. I mean, maybe there's some like off kind of company that's wanting to do it private because you run into the same problem that we do with the newborn screen test where the 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 state now has all of your genetic information, but yeah, they I had... saw that they I saw that they were offering it. I didn't know that yeah. they that they made it illegal. I, I don't think they can actually do that. Not just illegal. like the newborn screen, we can send it to the private company Perkins Elmer, like we do. Yeah, it's not illegal. I just think that they basically absorbed all of those companies, and um, and so they've also gotten rid of the state has gotten rid of the first and second trimester screenings because it was antiquated. Right. So now so let, let me ask a question that. of everybody out there. I want to see a, I want to see a show of hands. <laughs> how many people think this was done for safety and how many think of the people would, would think that it was done for nefarious purposes or for well, profit? I think it was done for profit. Yes. Right. Yes, right. definitely. All right, definitely. look, I'm counting. Let me see. One, two, three, four. No. Oh, by the way, I do want to mention that the, uh, that the, a lot of people wrote in that the NIPT test you can do to check RH type it's from a company called Unity. 
Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. And you can look them up. It's unity, just like it sounds. Uh, okay. Okay, good. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I have a whole bunch of other tyrannies we could talk about. But we won't today. We'll see. But we won't that. today because John's interview is coming up and it's great. So but before we, we go to John's interview. We should talk about Element. Element. Yeah. Not the TV show. No, that's elementary. Uh, no, Element, L M N T. You know, Element is one of our sponsors. They've been with us for a while now. We love them. Yes. They have a tasty electrolyte drink with all the good stuff and none of the BS, like us. Yes. Like none us. of the BS. Comes in a bunch of great flavors. Don't everybody should know them by now. My favorite is raspberry, and yours is still uh, mango chili, I I think, unless you yeah, tried some the, new ones. I have. I like the waterman salt and the citrus salt too. Yeah, and it's it's great for you know I've been using it actually. I have I have my salty as fuck water bottle, and I I carry that with me. I haven't been doing much hiking, but the next couple of days I'm going to be in the Tetons and Yellowstone, Beautiful. and so I'm going to do some hiking, and I'm going to take my salty as fuck element water bottle along with me with my raspberry salt in there, and you know for birth workers for uh, women in labor rather than drinking uh, for anybody basically rather than drinking yeah. some of the drinks that are not so good for us. Yeah, like Gatorade. They have like sugar that. in it, or they have <laughs> caffeine, or you know, what's what's the uh, sweetener now? What's it? Not saccharin anymore. What's it called? Aspartame. Aspartame. Thank you. Mm-hmm. See, I'm living. I'm way, way. I'm still living in, in the way path, the way back. Um, it has none of that, none of that stuff. It's got only the good stuff in it. And if you go to their website at Drink Element, that's drinklmnt.com, and put in the code word "birthing instincts," all one word, you'll get a free sample pack with anything that you order. So please uh, support them because they support us and they make the show partially possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Element. Thanks, Element. Okay, so let's hear from John. So tell us, just tell us your take a little bit about your brother before we get into where he joins us. Um, Well, he's my brother. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we used to work together a couple of times we had a family business, which is, um, my dad was importing textiles from Mexico. So we both worked in that business together. And then John imported flowers, believe it or not, his wife, uh, now ex-wife, um, was a florist. And so he got into importing flowers and I worked, um, as his business manager before I opened the sanctuary. It's one of the, the things that I think kind of like helped me with the confidence to be able to do the business part of the sanctuary was managing John's flower business. Um, and now he, you know, is pretty well known, especially in Los Angeles as a man who leads men's workshops and, uh, does a lot of work with couples about about sexual polarity and relationship. And so I thought it would be kind of cool to have him on. So everybody pay attention, listen up, and uh, we'll talk to you after. Enjoy. Hello. Hello, John. Hello, how are you? Can we get to see, oh, there you are. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you, Stuart. John, I think that we probably met at one of the poker nights. Oh, oh, Years ago. Yeah, yeah. When Claire, with, with Claire's for her foundation, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, right on, right on. Good to see you again. Yeah. So it's great to have you. So Bliss is going to introduce you because she knows you best. Okay. Well, I think it's so cool that I get to have my brother on my podcast. First that of is all. cool, right? Yeah. So um, besides being my brother, which is <laughs> the most important thing on this podcast, um, John Wineland is an author, teacher, and a speaker who has been guiding both men and women in the realms of life purpose 
relational communication, sexual intimacy, and embodiment. John brings a multifaceted approach, which is both energetic and highly practical to his workshops and experiential coaching sessions. John's embodiment-driven teaching draws from not only over 30 years experience of his own Buddhist meditative practices, but a from 13 years intensive study and practice with the renowned yogic intimacy teacher, David Data, drawing from Data's revolutionary framework, as well as the deep lineages of, you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation of this one. Vajrayana. Vajrayana, Tantra, Kundalini Yoga, Taoist, and Iron Shirt Qigong, which I don't know either, um, traditions, John seeks to create a profound experience for men and women longing to express their deepest desires with open, fierce, and loving hearts. Hey, what could be more, what could, what could be more necessary? <laughs> Thank you. Right. Yeah. So um, you guys might wonder why I invited John on since this is a birthing podcast. It's kind of an interesting thing. One, I've yet to really, give birth. You what? I've yet to give birth. You have yet to give birth. I, but I, I, I think I'm going to miss that one this lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Um, in this lifetime. Um, John just released a, a book, which we'll talk a little bit about. It's called From the Core, A New Masculine Paradigm for Leading with Love, Living Your Truth, and Healing the World, um, which is one of the things that we'll be discussing today. But one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, John, is because of um, the work that you do and the work that I do with couples, because a lot of relationships dissolve within the first year. Um, the statistic is really high after a baby's yeah. being born. Yeah. So I thought it would be interesting from your perspective, you know, we'll kind of dive into um, how people could utilize some of the work that you do to help support maybe preemptively baby proofing their relationship. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I, I assumed that that was true, but I did not know, like mm. you kind of validated my assumption. Um, because I, I tend to run into a lot of couples who are in their first year or two after having a baby or two or three or four. And those years are really challenging for the relationship. And it's kind of universal. So I guess the first thing I want to say is it's it's really normal. I want to normalize it if there's if there's anybody listening here who has challenges in their relationship after after having a baby or two or three. It is normal. I think that the easiest way for me to do this is to give a framework that I use for sort of a healthy intimacy, like a healthy sexual intimacy. And John, and, before you do that, I just want yeah. to say that um, when appropriate, I, I actually really skimmed your book very, I couldn't read the whole thing, but I skimmed areas. And I've got sections of your book that, you know, I took out of it as a male. Yeah. That I think, you know, our, our listeners are mostly female. Yeah. And most of them have male partners. So maybe you can draw in some male listeners for us in the future. <laughs> um, when in and if appropriate, I might uh, chime in with uh, and ask you some questions about. Yeah, love it. You know, from from this male who's really not, you know not, you know I'm I'm in touch in some ways more more than other males, but I've struggled with my whole life with masculinity and all that sort of thing. So yeah, me um, too. You know, I told Bliss when we first came on how excited I was to talk to you. Oh, right on. Yeah, please, please yeah. dive in, man. I'm, well, I'm, we will. But, but yeah. why don't you go ahead and, and just deal with Bliss's question about couples and that sort of thing first? Yeah, sure. Um, 
So, and, and there'll be some crossover, I'm sure, in terms of what, what we talk about. But, you know, this is a framework I think any couple can, can look into and address, right? So the first, the first pillar, we'll just call intimacy, right? That, that is how, how well they communicate uh, their heart's truth, how they feel their sameness. Like, I'm human, you're human. You know, I have a heart, you have a heart. I, you know, I get afraid, you get afraid. Um, and even deeper, you know, uh, sort of a soul connection, a soul viewing, right? So intimacy is really the recognition of sameness between two human beings. And it doesn't have to be romantic, obviously. It could be friends. It could be with your pet. It could be, you know, it could be with your child, seeing the, 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 just the, the, the oneness. It's, it's, it's really about oneness. You know, we hear spiritual oneness. So that's the first pillar is how, how well are they able to recognize, A, their own, their, their shared humanity, and then their soul's oneness. Okay. Pillar two, um, which, which helps with pillar one, is how devoted are they to each other's nervous system? How, how devoted are they to making each other feel safe in the moment, in the world, um, in their lives together? Um, and this often goes to the wayside when babies are born because just, things get so, you know, sleep goes out the window, everybody's nervous system is frazzled. And it takes a real commitment to be, to put your partner's nervous system ahead of your own in the moment. It takes real commitment to love and a real sort of deep spiritual practice. Um, but it, it makes all the difference in the world because when couples get into fight or flight, right? And they become adversaries versus allies. Their nervous systems are operating in a sense of in a self-protective mode that won't allow for intimacy. So there's tools for this, and we can get into some of that. But that's the second. That's the second pillar. The work of Stan Katkin is really good. He wrote a book called Your Brain on Love. That's a great way to get into some of this. Oh, uh, I read that one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he. Yeah. Yeah, he deals with this. I, what I try to do is I try to take those concepts and make it make it about how do you work with this in an embodied way. So uh, Terry Real also very good. Esther Perel touches on some of this, but so that's the second pillar. The third pillar is the one that that often gets missed, and that's the one called sexual polarity, which is the arc of masculine feminine dynamics in a relationship that create that arc of sexual energy that that makes our sex juicy that makes us attracted to our partners that creates a very deep sort of energetic um charge in in our love that is often very and that's the thing that gets thrown out when parents you know to answer your question bliss when parents new parents especially are trying to deal with all of that taking the time to be able to cultivate you know, a sexual polarity is, is, is often hard. It's not as hard as many of them claim or make or think. Right. It really doesn't take as much effort as, as people think. But that sexual polarity piece is huge uh, in terms of why people break up because they just stop, there stops being juice, right? Okay. So, so let, me just, let want... me just reiterate. So you've, oh, got, yeah. you've got intimacy, mm -hmm. you've got safety, and you've got juice. Mm -hmm. And and all three of those things need to be really attended to, especially, you know, in the first year of a uh, first year or two of having a new baby. You know, it's funny is um, in my childbirth education class, we talk about keeping it juicy. So it's like I love that our language is overlapping even. Um, so I wanted two things. I would love for you to talk a little just um, maybe 
um, define embodiment practices a little bit more for people who aren't familiar with that language. Um, and the other thing is, you know, when you talk about sexual polarity, there's actually this period of time, right. Where there's not sex happening because a woman is recovering. She's breastfeeding all the time. She's touched out. She's not ready. So Mm -hmm. I would love for you to address like, what does sexual polarity look like in a time where you're not having sex? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the first piece embodiment, let me just, I'll give you the brief and it's much more nuanced than this, you know, but it's also quite simple. Embodiment just means that your awareness and your sensation, your, your awareness and your feeling body are in your body, not in your thoughts, not in your, not, you know, in the future moment, not in a past moment, but really in your body. So an easy way to think about this is to use easy way to use this is just breath, right? So taking deep breaths into your lower body literally drags your awareness from the head in region down below the heart into the belly, into the navel, into the genitals. And that's just taking some deep breaths, um, pressing the soles of your feet down into the earth that creates an embodied relationship, uh, uh, an awareness and sensitivity to the earth. So on one hand, embodiment is really just bringing your awareness into your body and bringing energy into your body so that your body feels more alive. There's more chi, there's more life force, there's more, you know, just prana, however, however you want to describe it into your body. So it could be breath practices, yogic practices, certain kinds of meditation practices, just to take you from the mind into the body. Okay, hold on. So Stu, did you do that when, when John was talking about it? Did you, did you breathe into your. And you go Nance? No, but I put my feet flat on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, when I was reading John's stuff about this chapter about breathing, talked about if you, you know, when you're ready to go have intimacy with your partner, take a few minutes. If that's in the book and, and, you know, you know, touch yourself and, and breathe and, and maybe what was it, John? Like you, um, well, there's certain kinds of like, like yeah, that certain, sort of certain Qigong practices to kind of break up the crust of your physical body, your meat body, so to speak. To get your yeah. mind in the right place and your body in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Because hey, if you're not, not in the right more place. available, like, so, so, so it just, just by doing this. So if I just did this for a minute or two, right. You have to say what you're doing. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm pounding on my, I'm pounding on my heart and the sort of front of my body. If I just did this, my actually after a couple minutes, you guys would, my heart would be softer, more available, and you would likely feel me more available to you to the moment. Right. And Mm -hmm. so embodiment work, the first sort of definition of embodiment is just stuff like that, bringing you into your body. The second more complicated and more fun version of embodiment is to take esoteric concepts, esoteric universal principles, like devotion, like fierce love, like, um, uh, you know, certain kinds of sexual energies, like groundedness, like uh, the, the, the texture of a mountain, right? And to make them real through the body so that you and others feel it through your body. So fierce love is a good one, right? You could you can literally do certain kinds of breath and, and breath and yogic practices, put my awareness on certain things, breathe a certain way, ground a certain way, 
feel a certain way. So I'm basically taking a concept that's a deep universal concept. Groundedness is another one. And I'm making it real through my body so that you feel it and it will impact your nervous system. And these are things, these are exercises that you walk people through when they are taking your course. This is my day. (laughs) And this is, you know, and, and like, and just like we said, I said, you know, open the soles of your feet. You know, the second piece of that would be, you know, press Stuart, you can try this, right? It could just be, so you just, you put, you press the soles of your feet into the earth and then you literally from your side ribs, you press your side ribs down through your hips into the earth. And then from the base of your heart, the root of your heart, you press that, just use your muscles to press that down through your groin into the earth. And you can start to feel a deeper connection to the earth and you just occur more grounded. Can you see that bliss? Can you, can you see that? So he occurs more grounded, more um, stable, more, right? And so, and if you add breath to that, you can expand that through your body and other people will feel your groundedness and will have an impact on them. And in sexual, in the sexual polarity realm, just doing that, if, if Stu just did that for a few minutes, right in front of a romantic partner, her nervous system would downregulate into a parasympathetic state that is much more receptive for love, for touch, for sexual expression, et cetera, et cetera. Great. So you're saying you do these things in front of your partner or before you're both. Yeah. They can be stealthy. I mean, you have to say, Hey, I'm planting my sacrum now (laughs) into the earth, maybe for you, you know, it just, it just becomes part of your, part of your practice and part of your, uh, you know, relationship to the moment. You know, I would just like to say something, um, you know, I'm on my sabbatical and yesterday I drove from Saratoga Springs, Wyoming, all the way to Alpine, Wyoming, which is where I'm at now. And Mm. so really, once you get past uh, halfway, um, the country gets really beautiful and the Aspens are starting to change color and there's the the, uh, Hoback River and the snake joins the Snake River. And, and it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. And you get to, you get to feel in touch with that. And then you said something about the, you know, when you were talking about your clients and this is what you do every day. And I was going to, I was thinking in my head, how do you keep the energy going when you do this every day? But it really, I don't even have to ask that question because I always joke, I jokingly say things like, you know what I really like to do? I'd like to work in an independent sandwich shop making sandwiches because I would, there was no, it's like you're in touch with people, you're facing them face to face all day long. It's sort of what I get when I go to my seminars, I get totally jazzed mm-hmm. because I'm sitting with people all day long and connecting to them. and. And um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about how most jobs nowadays in medicine and other, and even administration or any other business, you know, they're they're not satisfying anymore because um, these industries all have middlemen and administrators and rules and regs, and they remove the satisfaction of direct interaction between people. And so does the Zoom meetings and the yeah. and that sort of thing. So people that do that for a job, they burn out or they. They, they lose touch. So these things that you're saying right now in your book, again, for me, you know, it's not the kind of book I would normally pick up, <laughs> but, you know, Bliss invites you on. And she, so I got a copy of your book and, um, and I'm going to dive into it deeper than just what I did for the podcast today. Mm-hmm. But it really give, it gave me a feeling of, you know, I don't know that there'll be somebody else in my life in the near future or not, but I certainly know that I'm going to do things differently when there are. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. 
And you know, the thing is, is that um, I was thinking as you were describing that, John, except for the maybe the sexual part of it, embodiment is actually something that we can utilize in our work as birth workers because we're walking into intimate, sacred space in a very vulnerable moment mm-hmm. in a very, you know, from my place, a very divine um, opening, you know? Yeah. And um, so for birth workers to ground themselves, to be embodied, to be open and available for what's coming through energetically, um, that's something that I do instinctually. I'm a dancer and a yogi, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. from my past. So everything I, I bring information in through my body. That's how I know what feels right for me and not. And it's part of what I teach birth workers and what I teach people, couples when they're in a class. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do it without it having to be sexual, Stu. It could just be something that you're doing to be more grounded and present with whoever that you're wanting to bridge intimacy with and intimacy. You and I have intimacy in the way that John described it, right? Even though it's not sexual intimacy, we have a relationship that is deep and profound and heart led. So yes, we do. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I, and I get this feeling when I'm in uh, nature and and the feelings that I might have in in a, in a, if I was sitting at a desk job all the time of like, you know, if I don't have meaningful work, I get frustrated. I get uh, resentful when I, get out here in nature. I'm tomorrow I'm going to the Grand Tetons and then the next two days I'll be in Yellowstone. I'm jealous. Yeah. yeah I, know, I know. Me too. Yeah. I know. Well, you're both, you're both invited to fly into Jackson. I'll pick you up and, <laughs> yeah. and we'll, we'll go. There's plenty, there's plenty of room in the beast here. So. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I just feel like I can let things go. And then what's really beautiful about it. I had a t-shirt once, I think it's from Zion that says uh, lose reception, gain perception or something like that. And, you know, a lot of places here, I have no reception. And so I, I can't get online. I can't do anything. All I can do is read a book or go outside, plant my feet solidly on the earth or in the water or in the hot springs. Just look at this beauty. And, and I've done this before, but I think I've never done it in the same mindset that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. And I hope that it's going to be, well, it has been, it's just been great. This has been the best, yeah. best year of my adult life. No. Now, I can't say that in every aspect, but it's been one of the best years of my adult life because I'm unentangled. What's, is that the right word? Disentangled? You're free. You're yeah. free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably an easier way to say it. Bliss, always, yeah. Bliss is always good at coming up with better words for me. That's no. one thing she does. Well, I think you're... So, so what, to, to go back to Bliss's question, which I think is probably true for so many people who are listening to this, who will be listening to this. One of the things that I try to talk about in the book, and I think is really important, I try to teach couples, is what you're talking about, Stu, is, is that the, 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 the taking responsibility for personal nourishment, right? Because, you know, the masculine in all of us gets recharged by spaces of no demand. <laughs> and incredibly recharged by spaces of no demand with energetics and um, energetic receptivity. So when, when, you know, when someone who is, you know, tends to, you know, tends to be a masculine being steps into nature and you've got all this beauty and energy coming in, you know, being transmitted into your body and there's no demand really, I mean, unless you're getting chased by a bear or something, there's no demand. She doesn't want anything from you. The masculine needs that to recharge. The feminine needs to recharge, needs oxytocin, needs 
So the masculine needs dopamine, testosterone, the feminine needs oxytocin. And, and, and so oxytocin happens through touch, through cuddle, through attention. <laughs> so yeah. we have to take personal responsibility for filling up. And this is part of what I see in new couples, right? In new couples with new babies is that they lose that capacity to get full because it's so the little alien is sucking so much energy out of their daily lives and their bodies and things like that. But it's not as hard as people may think. Um, but but it does require a commitment to our own nourishment. That's kind of the first step, I would say, in 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 helping to alleviate that problem that you're talking about. And then and then going back to the question about what do you mean by sexual polarity when you can't be having sex? Yeah. So sexual polarity is basically one partner. Gender does not matter. So one partner is amplifying the feminine pole meaning they're embodying the traits of the natural feminine, which tend to be, you know, fullness, um, energy, movement, love, devotion, um, you know, certain kinds of desire, yearning, those kinds of things. So pleasure, right? So the feminine partner is amplifying the feminine pole by through their body, turning up the feminine juice, let's call it, right? And then the masculine partner is relinquishing their feminine and, and basically agreeing in the moment to amplify grounded presence, depth, stillness, consciousness, those kinds of things through their body. Now you have these two amplified poles, like a negative and positive charge turned way up, which then creates this arc of, of energy that is sexual polarity. Penetration is not needed, not needed. I mean, you know, ultimately it's nice, you know, but it's not, it's not needed for deep, deep. I think people don't get like how deep with your clothes on, looking into somebody's eyes, breathing with them, turning up these poles can create so much juice. And whether there's a kiss or a you know, a touch or a little makeout or anything like that, even just a little bit of that, you know, done a few times a week or daily, or, you know, sometimes it will lead to sex. Sometimes it won't, it doesn't have to, but you know, I, I just think so many of us are fucking lazy <laughs> when it comes to that, right? Yeah. Like the, the, you know, and, and then we wonder why the juice is gone. So yeah. there is a certain level of personal responsibility that I think is needed. And of course, there are times when, yeah, of course, you know, after just having a baby, which I would know about because I am a man, um, uh, I'm imagining wanting anything to do with touch or anything to do with relating with, you know, the father might be a little suspect. So, but at the same time, as soon as it, 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 it as soon as it is taking responsibility for filling up in whatever ways possible, and the masculine partner taking responsibility for grounded presence, depth, breath, all of those things doesn't take a lot to create that arc of energy. Yeah. And I think that, you know, even if a woman isn't interested in having penetration or being physical, yeah. a woman who is in a loving partnership with a man is wanting his presence during that time, you yeah. know, she's, she's going to be giving him direction of things to do because there's a lot of little things to yeah. do, yeah. but what she really wants is for him to lean in 
after he's done the things or while he's doing the things mm-hmm. and, and bring her presence and love. She's so always is- going to want that. Yeah. So the responsibility, if we want depth, presence, clarity, da, 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 from our partners at a level of seven, eight or nine, right? At a then, 10, you mean? At a 10, 10 to, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know it's never, it's never ending, right? But if you want that from your partner, then you, how are you the polar opposite at the same level? Mm-hmm. It's unfair. I mean, with the exception of the first few months of just, you know, when, when healing, yeah, healing, right. <laughs> with the yeah. exception of the first few months, we're not really taught. Let's just sort of contextualize. We're not really talking about that very tender space, but mm-hmm. afterwards it's, it's, it's important for both. I see this all the time with couples. I'd love her to be more feminine. I'd love him to be more masculine. Well, how grounded are you, right? When you're wanting more femininity from her, you know, how, how open and f- full of energy are you when you're wanting more of his grounded depth? And mm-hmm. so we really do need to, to, to be in the evocation experience through our bodies versus the demanding, blaming <laughs> experience through our bodies. Can I- because that's a way to kill polarity. Totally. That, that's, there's nothing less sexy, right? Than oh. the demanding. Yeah. 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 Can I, yeah. can I quote you, um, with an, uh, with an example that you give? Of course. Okay. So you put, simply put the primary masculine gift in any relationship is conscious embodied awareness, which I think you've we touched on. And then you go on to give this example. Suppose your wife comes home from work and immediately shifts into mother and domestic partner mode by cleaning up or directing the kids. Perhaps you can sense she's dropping into her habitual roles and responsibilities, but because you are tuned into her, you can also feel that her heart is weary, her body is tense, her breath is shallow, and her movements are fast and sharp. This is the perfect opportunity to intuit what she truly needs, be it a bath or some time with herself or your hands on her heart for five minutes. Right. Yeah. That's that. that thank you for bringing an example. I yeah. This well. I, again, I'm a I'm a sort of a concrete thinker, mm-hmm. and I think that. These things sometimes for me fly, they're harder for me to interpret. Bliss has uh, got a mind that just interprets these things so beautifully and she expressed them so beautifully. For me, I'm, a, I'm again, I'm, maybe it's my masculinity, I'm more concrete. Mm-hmm. If you want, you also say the next page, you say the masculine gift in relationship is liberation. Can you tell mm-hmm. us what that means? Yeah, yeah. So let's just stick with that moment you described, right? So in that moment where she is, let's just say she's exhausted from care, you know, we'll keep using the new baby example, right? She's exhausted from, you know, two or three months of no sleep and, and feeding a new baby and all of that, right? Her heart is weary, her body's tired, da, 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 da. So the masculine gift will be to feel that in her and find ways to liberate her heart and body into pleasure, love, joy. It could be just as simple as like, it could be just as simple as like, Hey baby, lay down. Like, just let me like stroke your body, feel, breathe with you, look into your eyes. Like, let me just, let me just like liberate. Let me see you, you know, let me see deeper than you. I'm just giving one example, one possibility. And, and in doing that, if he does that with a deep presence and a heart, open heart and doesn't even have to nothing sexual just just touch just like again remembering the oxytocin thing right the touch you know stroking her heart you know stroking her hair just you know just caressing her and looking deep into her eyes he will free a part of her heart might take a minute might take two 
that has probably been pretty tense and overwhelmed and burdened. That is a gift, right? And his capacity to do that, to both be aware that that's what's needed and also to have the yogic capacity to actually do it, those two things are skills that can be learned. Nobody has, nobody has taught men that those are skills that can be learned. It's just assumed that we'll intuit that shit. And more often than not, we get it wrong. She wants you know, there's, to be alone. there's a joke amongst women, John, that, you know, when your uh, partner offers you a massage, you know what they actually are trying to get. Yeah. So I think that uh, also, you know, practicing giving that without a expectation of that. Of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the point well, but is it's not, of course, but well, yeah, but this is the point. Like, I mean, part of the point I'm making in the book is that yeah. the masculine, you know, the masculine paradigm of acquiring, whether it's feminine energy, whether it's wealth, whether it's right, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the, the paradigm of acqu- winning and acquisition is the patriarchy, quite frankly. Yeah. And, and that the new masculine paradigm has to be built around sensitivity and awareness, you know, and, and feeling what she needs. She might need some sexual touch. She might not. But, but the, the point is, is that he's trying to tune in. He's doing his best to tune in. And, you know, he could, in the example, we'll just keep going, right? So in this example, he could say, hey, baby, just come lay down. I, I don't, I'm not going to make a move on you, you know unless you want me to, I just want to play with, I just want to stroke your body and just make you feel love. And in that moment, you know, it might, a sexual possibility may develop and he may touch her sexually. And then he just checks, he feels like, or he asks, is this okay? Does this feel good? And then she'll either say yes or no, or, you know, or he'll feel it. So every moment he's bringing awareness to her body and her heart, he's gifting her with the masculine quote unquote. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Men do walk a real tightrope right now. And you're, you know, in your opening chapter, you talk about the um, confusion that men deal with. And, and it's funny because there's this joke that everybody goes around, you know, if a man says something and a woman isn't around to hear him, is he still wrong? You know, that (laughs) sort of thing. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, you, you write the problem I, as I see it is not a man's desire to step up, but is his understanding of how most powerfully to do so. Um, and then you go, a great pain that men face is the confusion of how to interact with women. Because today's woman doesn't need a man to provide or protect her. She can make her own money. She's often more spiritually and emotionally developed. She can parent a child by herself. She can take care of herself just fine. A common complaint I hear is that they are not sure what their feminine partners truly want. And if you could address that a little bit, because um, masculinity has been under attack, obviously, right. politically sometimes. and so. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, and I think very unfairly, mm-hmm. I think most women want a man who's masculine and I may be speaking from experience, but you know, that's not what you hear on, yeah. on your, uh, network news. So can you yeah. comment on that a little bit? Sure. Let me start with how I define masculinity, right? So I define masculinity as the transmission, the embodied transmission of the traits that we were talking about, depth, groundedness, uh, consciousness integrity, clarity, feeling awareness, all of those things. Those are all the capacity to transmit that through a body occurs as masculine, right? So if a man is stoic, I would argue what the feminine is responding to is not his stoicism, 
In fact, that's probably not what she would respond to, but his stillness. So having, having a stillness, a capacity to both be very sensitive, very feeling, but also still structured, grounded, deeper awareness, that transmission is, occurs to the feminine as masculine. And I see this in workshop after workshop after workshop, right? Like that, that transmission relaxes her body, it relaxes their body and their nervous system. And then movement, because of course, you know, just standing still would not might be fun the whole time, but movement comes from consciousness, comes from stillness, comes from this kind of deeper place rather than the habitual sort of frantic stuff that you see in the world today. So masculinity is a transmission of the traits, the universal traits of the masculine. And I go into this a lot in the book. So from that, I think that the, what masculinity is, is again, it's, it's not about acquisition, it's about liberation, right? So when, when he brings that to her, I'm using very heteronormative terms here, but when he brings that to her, he gifts her nervous system with a sort of, a sort of a hum that relaxes her, that makes her feel safe in the moment. And these are very yogic and meditative practices that any man, any human can develop. So, and, and, and Stu, what in, uh, what in your definition, when you said that a woman is looking for a masculine man, most are responding to masculine men. What is that? How does that translate to you when you think of that? Well, you know, again, I don't really want to dive into the specifics of that only because because we're, we're only a product of our own environment and, and what we were raised with and stuff like that. But I look at, you know, the traditional masculine yeah. man is yeah. not somebody who, who's like boozing and beating up people, but um, somebody who's responsible, somebody who is communicative, somebody who is a good wage earner, somebody mm -hmm. who can fix things around the house. <laughs> those sorts yeah. of things, you know, that's, that was my dad. Okay. So well, but that's those are just, dad. those are just the anti, that's just the anti for the modern woman to be a good provider, a good father to kind of have a certain, to be able to, you know, the modern woman wants presence, depth, integrity, clarity. I, I think that's, I, I call that the myth of the good husband. And I was certainly in that camp. It's actually what brought me into this world is that I think what we're coming up with is what are the forms of masculinity that were sold to us? Yeah. Arboro man, John Wayne, Rambo, fucking, you know, what is it? The fast and the furious, like these things that were sold to us versus the actual kinds of masculine that have an impact on the moment and people's hearts and bodies. That's the whole point of what I'm trying to, the whole argument of new paradigm that I'm trying to make. So, you yeah. Know, and yeah, and it may, it may not fly. I mean, this is just my best shot. No, it has to go. <laughs> Here's what I learned. <laughs> because those superficial things, you're right. They, they're not lasting. I mm -hmm. mean, they may be what attracts the woman, mm -hmm. but ultimately, if you don't have the depth of the things that you just described, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be with that person either. <laughs> yeah, she won't trust you. Right. She won't trust you with her, you know, which is what you see so often in the dissolution of couples is that there's a lack of the feminine does not trust her masculine partner. And when that happens, when there's not clarity, integrity, I mean, if you want to nerd out on this a little bit, right? Yeah. Integrity, clarity, direction, 
right? Those kinds of, you know, very masculine, you know, capacity to earn a great living, right? All of those are byproducts of consciousness. Even humor is consciousness, you know, expressed as play. So if we want to get into the, 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 the deeper sort of experience of it, it's about consciousness at, at, at its core, the masculine is consciousness itself, is awareness itself. And part of the argument I'm trying to make in that book is that men have been misled as to what the deepest form of masculine is. And if you think of all of the, th- all the examples I just gave, they are reflections of how conscious a human is. Like the ability to create a great business is often a reflection of your conscious awareness of what the market needs. <laughs> Right. The mm-hmm. ability to, you know, to lead with clarity is often an awareness of, of, of how to navigate the field in front of you. Like all of these things, once you start to break it down, it, 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 it gets more and more uncannily narrow to what, what the masculine truly is, which is a, a deep awareness and consciousness of the moment of the infinite of themselves. You know, it's interesting because that was one of the questions that I, from reading some of the book that I wanted to ask you about, because when I think about consciousness, you talk about the masculine transmitting consciousness. And I know for some people, this is going to get way out there. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, I always have thought about consciousness as part of spirituality. And I think of women being the ones who are grounding and bringing the spiritual into the physical world. So when I'm thinking about, um, transmuting consciousness, I would have, I would have thought that that was a feminine trait. So that's interesting. It is. It's no, well, 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 so think of, think of the spiritual as this, right? So if you look at feminine spiritual traditions, I'll rattle off a few and it'll make sense. It's all about energy, movement, expression, right? Gospel, mm-hmm. West mm-hmm. African dance, sacred dance traditions of India, right? So feminine tradition the capacity to move uh, devotion, love, energy through the body in service of the divine, that has been the feminine spiritual traditions for thousands of years. Beautiful. I mean, they're beautiful. Um, the masculine spiritual traditions have been about witnessing thought, vipassana, um, about um, certain kinds of, you know, bringing consciousness through sound, chanting, mantra, right? And, and you can, I, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit, but you can actually start to see now the feminine and the masculine transmitted mm-hmm. as divine expression through the body in all kinds of spiritual Zen Buddhism, for example, super uber masculine. You don't fucking move and you just like look at the thing and, and breathe a certain way. Um, Vipassana is a great way to do it. A lot of Vajrayana Buddhists, the Tibetan monks, for example, like you see a Tibetan monk. They are solid, mm-hmm. like, a, like, a, like an oak of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So you can start to see these things when you pay attention to it, that the, the signposts of how to embody these things have been, the ancients have been giving us this information for thousands of years. I think Western culture has sort of, you know, pounded out the feminine in men. And you have this chapter in your book, which is called Learning to Lead and Integrate Your Own Feminine. Mm-hmm. And if I can just ask you this question you sort you say i see far too many men struggle with fully owning their needs and desires although both are healthy and natural the part of you that law lo- that craves space and freedom to escape responsibility 
that part of your heart that longs for love and recognition, the parts that crave certain forms of sexual energy and so on, where, whatever it is, the part of you that yearns, desires, and needs is your feminine. Mm -hmm. If you don't allow these yearnings in yourself, you'll more likely, more li likely have a problem with them and other people, including the ones you love. That's really beautiful and wise. And it, like I had to read it over and I took out my highlighter. Bliss knows I use my highlighter. <laughs> Hope you don't mind. I but it leads to the, it leads to the question that a lot of men have mm. who are raised in my generation or even, mm -hmm. you know, some vintage, younger, younger vintages. Yeah. Um, men don't know how to communicate their needs mm -hmm. to their woman. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so they keep things inside and then they feel like they're trying to do whatever, you know, they're trying to do their job, but they're not, but, you know, it's not like you should expect your person to read your mind. So what's, what's a good way for a man to communicate? Or is the woman just supposed to pick up on that? Because I don't see that no, always no, happening, right? No, no. I mean, I, a big, uh, so, so there's a couple steps to this, and I try to go through them in the book. The first step is to, is to bring awareness. We've been talking about awareness. Bring your awareness to your own heart. In essence, you're bringing your own masculine, your awareness, to your own feminine, your heart, the emotions, the sensations, the feelings of your heart. So you're getting intimate with your own heart. What do I need? Do I need more? Do I need more sexual energy? Do I need more devotional energy? Do I need, um, do I need her to trust me more? Once you start getting into these areas, you'll see that there's, there's a small group of kind of universal needs that I see men need. Like I would almost call them innate and it's not, you know, I'm talking about, again, cisgendered heteronormative tends, you know, in, in the realm here. So once you start to get clear on what those needs are, then you can communicate them. But most of the time men are missing that first step of really getting intimate with their own heart and then communicating them in a way that is very clear, like baby, I need to feel your heart more. Or baby, I need to feel your, um, you know, trust in me more, or I need to feel like that you, I need to feel pleasure in your body more. Right. I need to feel that. Like there's so much direction in this house. I, I I'm craving the nutrient of pleasure through your body. Now that's a need that. Well, that how about just something simple as I, I need, I, I would love you to acknowledge me more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I need you to see, I mean, that's a huge one for men. I need you to acknowledge the things that now there's arts to communication. And this is a lifelong yoga. I try to get into some of these things in that book. And then the other, I'm writing another book for couples. So, um, the art of communication, but it's like, um, you know, I need you to acknowledge what I'm doing right as much as what I'm doing wrong. Right. Or I need you to see the ways that I do show up for us and not just the ways that I don't. Right. I mean, those are, those are, those are needs communicated in a way that most often, you know, women can metabolize. For, for good men, they're as needy as water and food. Totally. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Like we, we need to be, we need to be acknowledged for the ways we do, we do try. Yeah. Dude, I'm taking notes. 
knowledge to more. No, not you. <laughs> well, you're kind of my work husband, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you you're doing you do a great job, and I don't yeah. have any club. And you and I can communicate pretty well together, except I sent you a text. And that's what I was trying to signal you. <laughs> Can you check your texts for a second? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we're going to have to wrap up quick, but I, I wanted to, yeah. to um, I guess, you know. Yes, you can mention spoke... Oh, you do it then. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you do it. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the last chapter, you, you made me cry. Mm-hmm. Which I do on the podcast. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you listen to the introduction of our podcast, we say sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry. I think I think uh, it's about it's about sixty forty. Don't you think, Liz? <laughs> I love that you get choked up by things. It's one of the things I love about you. Well, you know, I guess I guess it would be fitting to like wrap up the uh, talk with John by going through the last sort of chapter of his book. So it's called "Death Is Coming," and he says, "Think about how your thoughts and moods would change if you knew." Your- Oh boy, I should have you read it. <laughs> if if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, mm-hmm. how much attention, love, and commitment would you bring to what would surely be the last acts on earth? How present and grateful and awe-inspired would you be? Let go of petty grudges. Get off your ass. Think about all the things you'd like to say or accomplish before you leave the realm. And then you say, you know, you go off and talk about your daughter. And I'd like you to do that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in in that chapter, I try to make the point that I was very, one of the blessings of Claire was that I was, you know, forced to really step into that role of, you know, that understanding that death was coming. And she was such a beautiful teacher, you know, in, in helping me, like, enjoy the present, right? And her and I worked really hard to clear grudges, to try to stay, you know, stay in the present moment to try to, you know, and she had plenty, don't get me wrong. She had plenty of grudges. And, um, and so we worked really hard to, to stay current and, and, and know that death was coming and we didn't want anything to, you know, we didn't want to die incomplete. Um, and I think for the most part, we did that. Uh, but, but her real gift for me was just an understanding that, you know, there's Carlos Castaneda has a really beautiful uh, discussion about death where he's like the true power, true power, a warrior's true power comes when they realize that each act could be their last on earth. And what if you, you know, what if you kissed your partner? What if you wrote that book? What if you went out into the river like it was your last act on earth? And he makes the argument that 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 approach to the moment by moment recognition, like each act could be our last, is is what taps into a deep sense of gratitude and power. And uh, and Claire forced me to do that. <laughs> I don't think I would have done it on my own, but um, but yeah, thank you, Stu. I, I appreciate I appreciate you know your sentiment around Claire. I miss her so much. And well, I just want. Any, anybody that want, can write write things that makes me cry, I, I'm, I value them greatly. So, let's go go ahead, Bliss. Yeah, I just wanted to ground who Claire is for people that don't know. Um, Claire's story is um, Claire obviously is John's daughter and my niece. 
um, who was born with cystic fibrosis. Um, so we always knew that Claire's life was going to be shorter than we would, any of us would have wanted. Um, and, uh, she passed away after a lung transplant, um, one year before my daughter Sky passed away, which, you know, I mean, it's kind of nuts that both my brother and I have lost a daughter. Um, but you know, we both are on a spiritual path and I think we both are understanding that our soul's journey has taken us here and our daughter's souls were and journeys were part of that path. And I'm sure that there's some, um, ancestral lineage that we're working out karmically here. And Mm. uh, I think that's why we're both um, so committed to, to, uh, working so deeply with people, um, comes from that. So I really appreciate that you brought it to the forefront, Stu, because from, um, being someone who, you know, has lost my daughter and lost Claire, you know, we want to talk about them. We love talking about them, you know, and so many people avoid the topic because they don't want to make us sad or they don't want to feel uncomfortable. But I'm sure John, you agree that like, it brings them back into life here with yeah. us and yeah. that's always yeah. Yeah. yeah and our other sister lost a son to so, sids yeah to sids yeah so yeah just a crazy karma our family has um anyway yeah. th- thank you guys for having me um yeah I thank you for being here the ability yeah. to talk about the book and and i love you know what i love too is that you know I, most of the people that most of the podcasts i do they know my work pretty well. Right. So, so, you know, and I love that this was new to you. And, and so it was really cool for me to feel the impact of the book and the work on somebody who just got introduced to it. So I, I really appreciate you, you know, picking up the book and getting into it. Thanks, John. Uh, the book again is from the core, a new masculine paradigm for leading with love, living your truth and healing the world. And obviously we'll link it in the show notes. Thank you. Uh, thanks, John. Yeah. Yeah. Great to be here. Um, we, I love you. I was gonna say, we love you. I love you. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm still trying to like reel you in to a, uh, workshop with me in some capacity, maybe at Esalen with a bunch of couples. So I'm yeah, putting that out okay. there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like if you, if you, I just, I just, I mean, I do nine or 10 fucking workshops a year. So, so I, I, the idea of planning one, but if it was one where you had something set up, you could use my name and get something into S now, I guess now that I have a book, Eslin will accept me. Apparently before you have a book, they don't, they don't. Well, I have an in with Eslin too. Oh, so I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, it was great to have you here. I love you. you. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you, Stu, for um, for trusting me that this would be an interesting topic for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole new, uh, a whole new uh, avenue for me. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's really right. good. You you never stop learning. You yeah, right. Right. yeah, right, right. Good to see you again here. So enjoy your time in nature, Stu. That is just awesome. I'll send awesome. photos. Please do. Yeah, okay. no, I'm a huge, I'm a huge uh, mountain guy. So so anyway, great, great to see you again. All right. Bye. Bye. That was so great for me. I mean, it it opens up new vistas for me. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, you know, I, again, I, I have a lot of time in the beast RV life. We haven't, you know, we haven't done an RV life show recently, so we'll have, maybe next week we'll uh, (laughs) do a recap of RV living (laughs) podcast, but um, I have a lot of time. And so, you know, it's not the kind of book that I said I would normally pick up, but 
but I looked at it and there's a lot in there. And I wish I would have known 40 years ago. Yeah. Learning now, but it's never too late, obviously. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would love, you know, it's a kind of a book I'm, I would, I'd love to give it as a gift to my sons. I don't know how well it will be received, but I'm going to do it anyway. Cool. So it'll also, it'll just end up on a pile maybe in their house, but for, they'll, maybe they'll read it and maybe think their dad is cool or their dad is weird, but that's okay. Um, because uh, you can, you can, if you, if you can let go of some stuff and if you can figure out some stuff and ground yourself better, you can live a better life. Yeah. And right now there's so much turmoil in the world and there's so much resentment and frustration and, and, we don't need to add to that by not knowing how to be in touch with our feelings and be in touch with our, our, our significant other, whoever that may be. Yeah. As John says, it might be, it might be a cat. It might be a dog, <laughs> but it might be a, a, a human being as well. So, That's great. and you know, and, and we have a real feminine um, listening audience, obviously, mostly women. And, and uh, so hopefully they'll take this podcast and they'll say, honey, I want you to listen to this one as we, you know, when we're driving, you got to listen to the to Bliss and Doctor Stu and Bliss's brother. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm gonna I, as a as a man saying that the women should do that. I'm gonna trust you on that because I think sometimes when we ask our partners to listen to something, they're like, bah. but you well, if you think that's a good idea, then let's try, ladies. You know what? It, it, it's better than buying them the book because the book they're gonna go. Eh. Oh, okay. That's good to know. That's right, good to know. Gonna, they're not gonna yeah. want to necessarily pick up the book unless there's a motivation to do it. So. It's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, going to a taste of L.A. You know, you may never have gone to a restaurant before, but now they have a little booth and you walk by and you taste something. And say, mm, that's really good. I think I'll go to their restaurant next time. Same sort of thing. <laughs> OK, good. <laughs> good analogy. Yeah, good. That's a good analogy. Anyways, enjoy the beauty, Stu. I really am jealous. Um, I have some mentorship uh, calls following this. so I got to go get myself grounded and ready. And hopefully next week I'll be in Bozeman. And I do hope that people enjoyed our interview with the um, down-to-birth people. So I hope that you enjoyed that as well. We'll see you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 